Hello, and welcome to the Thames and Hudson podcast. Charles Sommeret-Smith is known to the art world as the Secretary and Chief Executive of the Royal Academy of Arts in London. Before that, he was Director of the National Portrait Gallery and then the National Gallery, but he has another string to his bow, if you'll pardon the pun. In 2014, he began blogging about his walks around East London, where he has lived since 1982. His observations on Bow and other parts of East London were accompanied by photographs of almshouses and old Jewish graveyards, splendid Hawksmoor churches and post-industrial wharves, grand 19th-century squares and intimate gated snickets. The blog has now become a ravishing and authoritative book entitled simply East London. It seems destined to become an indispensable companion to that vast flank of the city so rich in the history of ordinary lives. Charles, your epigraph from a 50-year-old companion guide to London says the East End is the most difficult for tourists to work alone. Why is that? I think you have to look back to when that guide was published by David Piper in, I think, 1966. He was a West Londoner. In fact, he was director of the National Portrait Gallery. And I think for that generation, they didn't go to East London. People of their type and generation and if I can say that class, didn't know East London. It was alien territory. Even when we lived there from 1982, I can remember going past the Tower of London and you sense as you entered this different territory, the old Upland area, it was very, very different in its feel. So that I'm not going to pretend we were total pioneers because we bought a house off somebody who had bought the house himself, who actually worked for Thames and Hudson, in 1972 for 3,500. But in the 1970s, he was truly a pioneer. And what prompted you to start taking pictures of the world outside your front door in Mile End? I look back on a time when I was walking by the River Lee alongside the Olympic Park, and I had a flashback to the last time I'd done that walk when I used to run up the River Lee in the late 1980s. And in the late 1980s, it was actually quite dangerous. And I met a man with a gun, and it was quite clear that he wanted to shoot somebody, luckily not me. And I passed him and sort of rather nervously waited for the sound of gunfire. And that put me off walking in that place because I was a bit nervous about it. And it's hard to remember. It was rough, rough physically, but also slightly rough socially. And you had to be quite careful where you went and watch what was happening. And I walked up that path three and a half years ago and it had suddenly been manicured and the money had been spent on Olympic Park. And that brought about this realisation that I'd lived through an absolutely total transformation of East London. And at that point, I think, I began to gestate this idea that because I've lived there and because I've watched it change, if I could develop some way of recording that change, it could in some way potentially turn into a book. What were you looking for with your camera phone as you wandered around East London? It was deliberately both casual and not totally casual. So the casual aspect was I decided to go for walks at the weekend and look for buildings, some of which I knew but some of which I didn't, to explore and I wanted to convey through initially the process of writing the blog 
a casual way of looking at buildings. I've always been interested in buildings, but to be honest, for most of my life, I haven't had time to do this sort of thing. But I'm now in my 60s, and at the weekends I like to take exercise, and I prefer to take exercise with a purpose. And I really, really enjoyed, I loved this sense of finding out more about my immediate neighbourhood in Stepney, and then I extended it to Limehouse, where we used to live, and then I started exploring Hackney, which I didn't know at all well, out to the River Lee. It's an exploration of an area through walking and looking, and also I discovered it's, it's very much a book which is based on new media, because I discovered I could write incredibly fast for the blog, and I enjoyed the process of writing fast. Secondly, I could take photographs with a mobile telephone, which are, I think, of surprisingly high quality and quite good definition. And thirdly, you can find out about buildings now so fast, so that in the old days you would have had to have gone to the London Encyclopedia and then go to Pevsner. Whereas now you can just Google and find out immediately about 19th century buildings, about the history of buildings, about who their architects are. I'm not pretending that either the blog or the book is a work of deep research, but I know what I'm looking for. And I, I find it rewarding, and I would like to think readers will find it rewarding. Apart from readers from Hoxton, um, I was most amused to see that you picked only one small architectural detail from Hoxton. How much did your discoveries take you by surprise as you wandered around East London? You, you picked up something my wife picked up, which is Hoxton is unspeakably poorly represented. I did a walk down the Kingston Road, and I had thought from reading about the Kingston Road it was full of small cafes, and it may be, but I couldn't find them. So Hoxton only has one single entry, and that's a, a weakness of the book. If you view it as a proper guidebook, uh, uh, if there's ever a second edition, I will rectify that. But I, I was aware of wanting to cover the ground, but it's not a systematic book. People in Hackney will know that there are plenty of bits of Hackney. It's a set of explorations which is focused around Stepney. Stepney is much better represented than any other neighbour. In one lament, you say that there is no longer a gun shop in Commercial Road. This is, as you've suggested, a book about change. What do you mourn of all the things that have been lost? And, and are there acts of preservation which you particularly celebrate? I don't really mourn the loss of the gun shop. I'd forget, forgotten that I might have mourned it in passing. That is an exemplification that much of the literature these then is nostalgic for the era of the Cray twins. And actually, I don't think the book... The book tries not to be nostalgic for that era. I've tried to be non-judgmental because I'm genuinely enthusiastic about a lot of the new things. As has been pointed out to me, in some way it's a peon in praise of gentrification because the area is much richer in terms of new buildings than it used to be, and I, I applaud that. There are two things which I am both worried about and potentially lament. One is not in the book except in passing, which is the White Chapel Bell Foundry, which is unfortunately in the process of being redeveloped. And I think that's something which is very sad because it's a survival of pre-industrial craft practice which has survived since the 14th century, and it's just in the process of being abolished. And secondly, Spitalfields, which has been modernised and gentrified, sometimes something almost too much poshed up,
But it's very, very lively. But you can feel the city is beginning to invade it, especially by Elder Street. So there is an entry on Norton Folgate which is anxious about the process of change. One of the buildings that you celebrate in the book is the wonderful Wickham's department store. Did you know about that beforehand? Yes, funnily enough, Wickham's department store, because I first explored East London in the early 1970s with a copy of Nan's London, Nan, who was a brilliant, brilliant writer, wrote an unbelievably wonderful piece about Wickham's department store and the fact that the Wickham's tried to buy the whole site and failed to buy a little jeweller in the middle called Spiegelhalters. And so Spiegelhalters remains still intact. It's no longer a jewellery store. It's actually in the process of being demolished at the moment. And he writes this thing about it's the revenge of the little man. So that I remembered both the building and the entry before we moved in the neighbourhood. And that is an exemplification of the fact that even though I stopped exploring in the 80s and 90s when our children were growing up, I always was alert to how interesting the area is. You say that Stepney is the best represented area in the book. Is that really deep down your favourite section of this book? Stepney is the historic heart of East London as I've constructed it. I am conscious, and I may be subject to criticism, for the fact this is a book about historic East London as it is west of the River Lee. There's a huge tract of East London which is beyond the River Lee. I do not cover Dagenham, Romford, Barterville, Raynham. There's lots of East London which is really interesting, but it's 20s, 30s and 40s housing and factories, and it's a different territory as far as I'm concerned. So the East London which I'm familiar with, which stretches from the Tower out to the River Lee, up to Hackney, Stepney is geographically and historically at its heart, and it happens we live at its heart. So that I don't, I'm not totally apologetic for the fact that all the walks start in Stepney and our explorations from that. One thing that the book doesn't have, at least visually, is any pictures of people. You're quite correct to ask the question, because I myself, because I did it casually as a blog, and then it was turned into a book, probably I should have paid more attention to precisely this issue. I'm primarily interested in the buildings. There are lots and lots of books, very good books, about the sociology of East London, beginning with Wilmot and Young's, Young's uh, family and kinship in East London, and Ian Sinclair's a lot about people, Patrick Wright writing in the... Um, 90s was about people and this is a book which is more akin to Pevsner and Nan and an architectural guide but by implication it's about the history so that I would like to think there's a sense of the layers of East London and the different levels of settlement and the Huguenots there's a lot to an extent I hadn't realised about Jewish philanthropy. I didn't know when I started, that there are these absolutely amazing Jewish cemeteries. One I knew, which was written about by W.G. Sebald in Alderney Road, which actually doesn't get into the book. But who knows, I didn't really know, that in the middle of Queen Mary University is this absolutely amazing Jewish cemetery from the 18th century. Just by Sainsbury's, our local branch of Sainsbury's, if you go north up Paraded Street and look over a wall, there's a huge tract of East London. I mean... <laughs> East London is a big area, but who knows how much this 
cemetery is worth in terms of building land. And it's preserved as a 19th century uh, Jewish cemetery. They stopped having new graves more than 100 years ago. And one person I discovered, one of the Rothschilds, decided to be buried there in the 1980s in order to give another 100 years where it could be developed. So that I did discover, I think, interesting stories about him. You moved there in 1982, which is a long time ago now. Does it feel, despite all the changes, that, uh, that the heart of East London somehow survives from that period when you first moved there? Yes, I genuinely would like to think that I'm sympathetic and supportive of a long process of urban transformation. I'm not nostalgic for the rather rough East London as it was at the time we moved. I think it's been a successful aspect of urban development. And to be honest, to an extent I didn't anticipate, when we were in Limehouse in the 1980s, people were incredibly critical of the London Docklands Development Corporation. But frankly, what they did in terms of investment in infrastructure and doing the Docklands Light Railway and doing the Jubilee Line and doing Canary Wharf, that's what created the change. And so I like the diversity. I like the fact that there's a lot of history. And I like the fact that there are new waves of people settling. I like that sense of an incredibly diverse and very historically interesting area. Have you seen anyone walking around the streets of East London clutching a copy of East London yet? I describe it as only half a guidebook. I would like to think it would inspire people to do what I've done, which is explore in a free way, look about, not just go to obvious historic sites, but wander and look around and be inquiring. Charles Somerey-Smith, thank you very much indeed. East London is available to buy at thamesandhudson.com. You've been listening to the Thames and Hudson podcast.